Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hi. I'm Rachel. I'm the founder and director of Born at the Right Time. I'm a qualified nurse, a parent of three, with an eldest son who loves swimming, pointless, and has complex disabilities. I wrote the memoir, The Skies I'm Under, and I'm thrilled you've joined us for another episode of The Skies We're Under podcast, which shares the stories of fellow parents so we can all feel a little less alone and a little more understood. Today, we're bringing diversity to The Skies We're Under podcast. We have two people from Yorkshire. The infamous Paul and Michael Atwell Bryce, fathers to two sets of identical twin boys. They work together campaigning for and celebrating diversity and inclusion, whether it be accessible playgrounds, marriage equality or disability. In this wonderful conversation, we talk about how the best rom-coms start in Cleethorpes, how they fell in love with their boys, and how little things really can make a big difference. For example, a form saying parent one and parent two rather than mum and dad. How medical trauma impacts parents and the importance of humour to get you through. Hello and welcome to this, guys. We're under podcast. I'm very lucky today, everybody, that we have Paul and Michael Atwell Bryce, fathers to two sets of identical twins, both living in Yorkshire, obviously. That wouldn't make sense if they were living in different places. Paul and Michael appeared on Shop Well for Less, BBC One. We've got the nation talking about same-sex families, adoption, fostering, disability. They're hosts of disability podcasts from DadsNet and proud ambassadors of loads of different charities, all aimed at helping children across the UK with various special needs and disabilities. They've been involved in so many campaigns from accessible playgrounds to supporting the medical use of cannabis-based treatments and more recently hit the catwalk with their children promoting accessible and inclusive clothing. I would like to say all the different awards and nominations but we'd just be here all day. So gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for so much for joining us. Oh, she's reeled all that off, I realise, why we're so knackered all the time. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds like a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> as well as parenting children <laughs> yeah. and all those difficulties. Uh, yeah, so that's why we often look very tired. But I like yeah, that's why I've got the makeup under the eyes. <laughs> but I think we've earned this tiredness now. So it's great to be here and it's great to be talking to you as well. Yeah, no, it's really sad. I have a couple of really quick questions before we properly get started. Really vital, important questions. Is it Paul or Michael or Michael and Paul? Most, well, this is like the yeah. Richard and Judy question, isn't it? You don't, yeah. Yeah, it isn't it? Is it Judy and Richard or Richard and Judy? It's got to be Richard and Judy, isn't it? Normally it's it, Paul and Michael. Yeah, that's how yeah. it flows into it, yeah. yeah. When we were deciding a surname, so obviously it's double-barrelled and one was from each person, Paul wanted Bryce Atwell, he wanted Atwell, because that's his to be last, and we were like, it doesn't flow right, so we went in... <laughs> To the solicitors, and they were like, "No, it's got to be Atwell Bryce." Um, it's got to be Yeah. Well, it's even A B. Like it's it's like it's destined. Secondly, the trophy cabinet. Does it have lights? Where does it stand? And who cleans it? So the trophy cabinet is actually in Levi Lucas's bedroom oh. because the only reason we have these wonderful trophies are because of the boys, how amazing oh, yeah. they are. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have any of them. And they, they all be belong bored. to the boys. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they all belong to the boys. They're in there. They kind of have a shelf, don't they? We all special bits on them, mementos, and they kind of just sat on there, aren't they, in, in, their, in their room, which we like them to be there, though, don't we? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, everything that we've done and the achievements and whatever, it's, it's all been through campaigning firstly for our boys because... As a special needs parent, obviously, you realise from day one you have to fight for everything. So to be thrown into that in the deep end, we were like, you just assume the NHS covers everything when they've got disabilities and like we soon learn that we're going to have to fight or they wouldn't have anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we see, don't we, sort of Instagram talk about 
sort of how we see families and you kind of see Instagram photos of families and you sort of the whatever the nuclear family and the you know mum dad and two kids and you can kind of miss it can portray the complexities and challenges of family life can it but I don't think anybody could look at a photo of your family and think that must have come easy. Like the, some people hide their challenges, but you guys, I mean, you were fighting for marriage equality yeah. right at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I do love a love story. Tell me about your family's love story. So we met in, how many years ago was it? So it's 21 years this year, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it was 2002 in um Cleefarps. of all places oh that be, that's that's hot. that is a, such a i mean that if you're gonna start a rom-com anywhere <laughs> Cleethorpes is the backdrop yeah. for every quality hollywood shot isn't it of all places we met in Cleethorpes. i think yeah that that week we just connected didn't we so paul was on a, a like a contract there dancing contract you were on the way to where originally and um, so I was supposed to go into the Isle of Wight and uh, one of my friends said, oh, Paul, we really need a pro male dancer. Will you please just come and do this for me as a favour? I knew this woman. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm going to the Isle of Wight. She's like, please, please, please. So I literally just turned the car around and drove there. <gasps> yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they <laughs> Cleethorpes. Yeah, Cleethorpes of all places, yeah. <laughs> and life has moved on so fast. Since then, and time just goes so fast as well. Yeah. You know, it just when you look back. So, you guys have been together 21 years. When did the boys enter the picture, and how did that happen? So, that was 2008. So, we were kind of settled. We had jobs. Paul had not, you know, weren't doing much dancing then. We were working as like a hotel manager. Yeah. So you could never settle in a normal job. You hated it, didn't you? Because you were used to doing your dancing contracts, but yet you didn't want to be living out of a suitcase and wanted to settle down. So we were kind of having to... I needed security as well. I got to that age in You'd my life. You'd done cruise ships and... Most performers yeah. are constantly never based anywhere, and I was just getting tired and fed up of it. And it all naturally, for me, happened at the right time, I guess. Obviously, when we met each other, and um, we started to set up home and... All those kind of things. Yeah, so we were kind of settled. We'd bought us property. We'd done like Cuba and Mexico and been on nice holidays together as a couple. And we were kind of ready for the next stage. So looking back at those holidays when we were on a beach, child-free, not a care in the world, how we miss those times and to be there just for a week, just having nothing to worry about and listening to music. Oh, yeah, those holidays that kind of you think, should we go on holiday next week? And then you go, yeah, let's do that, rather than like four months of planning. <laughs> That's, so, yeah, That's yeah, so true. Like, in that time, you could like go for two weeks for £800 each, wouldn't you, if you waited for a lady? We were only talking about this last night, actually, <laughs> weren't we? It was unbelievable, wasn't it? You'd wait for like a lady and so you'd go the next week and you'd go to like Mexico for eight, £900 all inclusive for two weeks. And it's like, yeah. Gone are those days, <laughs> gone are those days. Now we have to take a full tribe with us, don't we? Yeah. Now it's a military operation. <laughs> Absolutely. So the boys came, you were telling me, boys came in 2008. How was that process? So that was quite good. So we started, obviously, with fostering first. So we'd, done, we'd, we'd got into the fostering side just to see how we'd be like with children and how it would fit in with us because we knew that could be more flexible. And then we heard about Levi and Lucas. They came to us after all the process and assessments, but a lot of it were already done through fostering, so it was just a kind of a top-up assessment from um, adoption. They actually moved in 22nd of December 2008, so it was like three days before Christmas. They were only diagnosed with global development delay, so we thought the premature, they're just a little bit delayed, they'll catch up. So they were two-year-old at the time. They came with... It, they, had, they were still drinking from baby bottles. Levi won't walk in. They were bum shuffling. So they were kind of under a child development centre, you know, where the paediatrician OT, everybody's all in one place. And I think at that time, a lot of people had um, thoughts it possibly could be this, could be a bit of that, could be a bit of that. But, and we were kind of, they were wanting to wait to see how they started to develop with us. 
Hmm. Yes. Whether that settled sort of home might might yeah. sort of get yeah. So you went into that relationship with them. What were your expectations? Were you thinking we weren't expecting anything? But I can honestly say we certainly weren't expecting our lives would change the way they have. One hundred percent. We were quite naive. We just thought they were delayed because of being prem and and they'd catch up. They just needed a good home with love and stability. And If I speak very honest here, it was very, very different because the minute, because the background to the boys and how prem they were and the challenges they faced from the moment they were born, and we were very clear on all that information. And then when we met them, I've never had a connection with anybody like I did with Levi and Lucas, that instant bond and wanting to really nurture them and take care of them and love them, that was there immediately. So that, that's just so true. It's very weird, very weird, because yeah, you, you yeah, don't yeah. always get that with everybody you meet and every child you meet. And that's being real as well, you know, because we are very honest people. And it was just there and it was just so powerful because they were just tiny, tiny children who had faced so much. You know, the fact that when they were born, um, they had to incubate them together to regulate each other's heartbeats and all those kind of things. It was just astonishing to know that they're just brought into this world. And yet look at what they're facing already. They've got to have somebody with them to really, really speak for them you won't have noticed there was another slight technical difficulty uh, we have established that neither paul nor michael have a clue what they're doing when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to the technology of things but we'll gloss over that you were just saying about that sort of that connection you felt when you first met the boys and knowing that connection not just from like seeing them but kind of coming to an understanding of all that they'd kind of experience to date and what you felt they needed I think it's so interesting because I certainly didn't have that like you know all my children came out of me sunroof though in my instance all cesareans but each of them I didn't sort of see them and be like oh this is my cosmic role of as a woman to have these you know I didn't have a sort of a rush of love I didn't sort of what I did have and my eldest son is the one who's got sort of lots of complications and was really fighting for his life when he was born, um, was that fierce protection that kind of you were sort of, it sounded like you were describing, where you, you know, you kind of just fiercely wanted to love and to choose to love in a very sort of practical way. And then it sounds as though, though, that you kind of started that journey thinking, you know, we don't know what the context is going to be but we want to love these boys and we want to give them home and stability and stuff at what point did you start realizing that the level of their needs was actually bigger than you'd anticipated it was escalating all the time it was just constantly escalating they weren't reaching any milestones whatsoever it was just them against the world it was two little young boys just against the world that's the, how it felt yeah, for me. The hardest thing, what I remember at the time, was the sleep. Because we'd have baby TV on, and no no matter what, like, they'd be up still. Up. So then we'd turn it off. We'd try all different things. It wasn't just the baby TV on, but that's what we ended up having to put on. They just would not close down. They wouldn't get tired. They'd be, Levi would be up still at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, and we were like, this isn't right. So we'd take them to the GPs and he said, well, you know, they've moved home, it's unsettling, blah, blah, blah. It's just them getting settled in. Then it were months later, I'd be got a blackout blind, so they have a hot bath before they go to bed. You know, we've tried everything, they're not sleeping. And it, it just wasn't right. So obviously that was eventually linked to their autism, that they just wasn't shutting off. And then eventually, like a few years later, they started them on melatonin. But that time or just exhausting, the dust, even when you put them to bed, they were up all night, they were making noises, getting in and out, and I just remember that to be a really exhausting time. So then when we'd take them to the Child Development Centre, and Levi was still bum-shuffling, they were saying, well, you could have cerebral palsy, 
this ain't right and and we were doing everything to try get him walking, weren't we? Michael's perseverance with sitting Levi on the bottom step in the lounge just to get him to stand up to go to him was remarkable. And that was the biggest thing ever. Michael is so laid back, but... So, the patience. Yeah, the patience of doing that. And boy, did that work when he stood up just to go towards him. We knew we were onto something there. I mean, when it was bum shuffling, it, it was so fast though, wasn't it, doing it? But it was like... It was like... Why do I need to walk? My butt works fine, guys. <laughs> but then Luke, yeah. Lucas were walking and Levi were just bum shuffling everywhere. And it's like... It, but there was no eye contact neither between each other, between us. Um, we had a therapist once come into the house and she said this is the closest she's ever got to seeing children that are like Romanian orphans. Mm. Those were her words. Because okay, the nice. boys would just... <laughs> yeah, I know. Those were her words. They would just kind of walk over each other, wouldn't they? And... As though they didn't exist. As if, as if they just didn't exist. And never did we think, what are we doing? Never. And that's very weird. Because we I know. think that every day. We, and... We're thinking now. <laughs> no, we're thinking now. But at this point, never did we think that. Never. And it was just going so fast, wasn't it? Yeah, so they got into nursery and obviously they needed extra support at nursery. And then it was just appointment after. We were just drowning in appointments. So it was, they had to have their ears checked, eyes checked. Every appointment was screaming, crying, throwing themselves about. It was nothing like what they are now. Getting in the bath, they would scream. They would really like hate it. Haircuts, obviously, they'd hit that. Anything like that, they wouldn't uh, to try and brush the teeth, cut the nails. They would scream, throw themselves about. It were really difficult time, wasn't it? Everything was a huge challenge. So then we'd turn at traffic lights, and if we went a different way to what we would normally go, they'd be screaming and throwing themselves about in the back, and we're like, something's not right. So then. They got diagnosed at age three at nursery, so the paediatrician, OT, everybody sat around the table and said, after the assessments, whatever, we've come to the conclusion that they're severely autistic. And at this point, I remember this so well, we were sat there, and then suddenly I had this emotion like, oh my God, they have now got this label for the rest of their life. How do we cope with this? We knew about the word autism, but we had not got a clue about the spectrum, about what being autistic is like, how vast everything is. We knew the word, but little did we actually know at that point. It's true, isn't it? Well, I don't think I don't think anyone does, do they? Like I'm a nurse and I knew like the labels, I knew diagnoses, and you see, my son's got cerebral palsy, and he's registered blind, and he's fed through a tube in his stomach, and you know I knew all those things, but you can't know the complexity. We were only talking about this kind last of night, how actually, it sort we? of infiltrates every single ounce of not just your day, but your energy, your mind space, your time. Like the, it just affects everything. Like you don't do anything typically suddenly. Do you know what I mean? How, like you say, the bath times, going somewhere, the trips, the connection, you know, all of those things suddenly have a whole load of other factors to contend with. I don't know that even with the best training in the world, you can sit people down and really explain what life's like on the other side. Given the number of practitioners and professionals, you talk about the number of appointments that you had. Do you think either from um, being a same-sex couple or the adoption of fostering that those relationships were different? Were people, you know, how did you get treated in those early days by professionals? Uh, we had some awful experiences where we'd take the boys into appointments. The specialists would say, one person said, and I will not name it unless we bring out a book, then I will. One professional said, so who was in the relationship with mum? And I, I was mortified. Yeah. And that was a professional medical person. 
so, so yeah back back then obviously like same-sex families is a lot more normalized now and i think yeah, it's like yeah. one in five adoptions go to a same-sex couple but back when we had the boys it was quite very new uh, obviously legalized in 2002 so it was very new at that time so i remember the very first operation what to have um rick grommets Oh, no, it was um, nosebleeds. Yeah, so they had severe... Cauterisation for the nosebleeds. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Constantly, like, pouring of blood, constantly really bad nosebleeds. So they put them in to have the noses cauterised. And I I remember them saying when we had to sign the consent, where's the adoption certificate? Prove it, you need to show us and all this. And it were very much like that then, wasn't it? They needed to see the proof before they'd let you sign for stuff, and it were very like that at that time wasn't it but obviously as the years have gone on things have got better because it's more normalized but i do think there is some issues still there's a lot of forms still that we always pick up on where it says mum and dad now it's there's a lot more couples same-sex couples with children we always just said parent one parent two would work a lot better and a lot of them have but a lot of the nhs is still quite behind with that i mean it doesn't bother us it's not a massive deal but it's just like Depends what mood we're in. Yeah, exactly. It depends how much sleep I've had. <laughs> Do you know that? Yeah. It really, really does. The relative size, it depends what mood we're in. How dare they still do this in 2023? <laughs> you know, it's not 1980. Yeah, I kind of think, you know, I, I like to choose when I put my husband's name down as parent one. <laughs> this, is a, this is a phone call I don't want to have. You can be parent one, love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely parent two for the next three weeks because I cannot be <laughs> cannot be doing it. So it is really important. Like you kind of minimized it there as like I know there's more important things, but little things make a big difference. And from having to justify and be scrutinized, even just of your parenthood, like how these boys belong to you and that belonging yes legally they've got this piece of paper but that belonging's deeper like that belonging is not encased in that piece of paper is it i mean that piece of paper could you know be blown up and it doesn't stop what you know the family that you've created so the the context of needing to be in those hyper vigilant really stressful situations and feel like you're not seen, you know, that you're like, well, I'm not mum and dad, or, you know, I have to prove legally that I can make these decisions. I think it's, I think it's those things are really important because they undermine some of the real important parts of, of just an expression of your love and your dedication to your family. And I think the hospitals have got better with that because we did a talk with one on their hospital radio and um, they wanted to discuss the challenges faced by LGBT parents in the hospitals and, and how they could improve things. And we've, we did one at Leeds and we've just been emailed asking us to do one for another hospital uh, chain or group. So they have like LGBT, like a, somebody who looks after that now, don't they? So it's very much... That's always a little bit interesting, isn't there? Because it's like, so this one person is in- inclusive and diverse, so we don't have to think about the rest of us. <laughs> It's like we've got the production, the co-production person, we've got the communication person, we've got the LGBT diversity person, so the rest of us can just carry on as we were, <laughs> you know, because those, those things have got to be part of everybody's job, don't oh, they? Yeah. They've got yeah. to be part of how the finance is set up, how the IT is delivered, how the communication comes out. It just has to be normalised, doesn't it? So like, why can't everybody just be treated the same regardless? Want the Right Time is a proud partner of Simple Stuff Works. Together, we champion the protection of people's bodies through engaging and enjoyable training, looking at 24-hour postural care and specifically the importance of lying support. Whether you're a novice wanting a short three-hour online course taking you through the basics, a specialist practitioner needing comprehensive training or anything in between, we have a range of CPD certified courses just for you. Find out more at www.bornattherighttime.com, where we give you the language, skills and confidence to protect people through excellence in 24-hour postural care.
just referring back to Levi and Lucas at that stage, uh, for the continuity of the progress. So they obviously had the diagnosis of autism, but then we had to go through the whole process of the epilepsy. And the epilepsy for us has been and is always the hardest part with Levi and Lucas because now the knowledge we have and the experience we have, their autism does not define Levi and Lucas one bit. You know, they're... You're not autistic, you're our sons, you know. And we absolutely push them to the limits because to teach them the world is very different. And we can't wrap them up in cotton wool because that wouldn't be teaching them anything to, to get on in life. It just wouldn't. But what we have to do is push them in situations where they might not be uncomfortable but then bring them back out of it and do it in a very slow process. But health-wise, that, yeah. that is the hardest part for any parent. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners listening to this will definitely agree. The autism we can control, but the epilepsy and health side, we have really, really struggled. And there's no sugarcoating any of this whatsoever. When Levi has been ventilated yeah. on PICU, uh, Embrace, which is a specialised ambulance service that have their own nurses and doctors with each ambulance crew, and they're saying they're doing everything we can, and he's fitting whilst he's still ventilated. And as a parent, and that, that kind of... And I personally think, and I talk quite openly about it now, I think the boy's epilepsy has kind of given us a bit of PTSD, because... Every time we hear a bang or a noise or something, we jump out of our skin and we just presume straight away they're having a seizure. And as a parent, that's what it's like living with children with such complex epilepsy like the boys. And that is the reality of it. And I think people don't actually talk enough about that. Yeah, that we were on holiday and my son had a massive seizure and he ended up in the hospital and ended up being ventilated and we were in France at the time and then we had this whole thing where so we're gonna have to transfer him by air ambulance to the sort of you know the regional hospital and so we've got to jump in the hire car <laughs> get our suitcase from where we were staying jump in the hire car and then find ourselves at this city and and like you say I mean thankfully our kids are actually out of it you know, at that point, and they don't remember, but we store up these memories. Like, yeah, and they, they stay with you for life. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. You know, I, there are some things I can't, I can't forget. I won't, you know, the number of times, you know, watching my husband do mouth to mouth on our son is just like, it's not, it's not something that should be part of your special memories <laughs> box, is it? But we all have it. And I think you're right. I think neurodiversity for some people, you know, can be very, very challenging. You know, it can really impact the ways in which they see the world. But it is also something that that is a beautiful part of people. Like it is, it is also something that sort of can, you know, a, a different way of seeing things. And our, and our, and we've said our differences is part of, you know, some of the good things that we're about but like you say you can't sugarcoat watching your child rise and shake and not be able to take a breath you can't sugarcoat you know thinking is this is it you know there's there's nothing that makes that sense of not being in control the bit I hate about the epilepsy is the treatment you can't do anything to know that it's working until they have another seizure it's like well that's rubbish isn't it like you're basically waiting for the car crash to see whether the road's safe <laughs> it's like, it's like, can't we you know there's no other you can't do a blood test you can't do levels you can't do there's nothing to say okay we've got it guys this is it basically you just have to sit and wait and hold your breath for the next catastrophic event to just say oh no it didn't work and i find that exhausting and that is the part of trying to fight with the meds and you know, work mm. nice and everybody we do to try and get medication that will work just to reduce the levels of seizures that they have. And Because every time they have a seizure, like yourself, I'm sure you agree with this, you just revert back to that dark place. doesn't matter what kind of seizure they're having, 
straight away you are back there thinking, don't let this be it again. And it stays with you for life. And I think it's that that makes you want to fight and keep going because you want to stay away from that place as much as possible. And as a parent, no parent should ever have to go through that, let alone the children. Mm. Mm. Would you agree, Michael? Mm. Yeah. But you decided that the complexities of the boy's life, the fact they're autistic, their medical complexities, the epilepsy, that your life wasn't full enough. You could have stayed in Cuba, couldn't you? Yeah. With your if cocktails. It was, if it was up to Michael, we would have more children. <laughs> Is he the one that's like, oh, but fours, fours, it's not quite as round a number as... Eight. Michael is like the male version of Maria von Trapp from South. <laughs> so tell us about when did you become a family of six? So when did we learn to reparent, can I just say? <laughs> because Lot and Lance are obviously mainstream and we were just so used to leave our notice with all yeah. their complexities. Yeah. And that was a huge learning curve. Mm. Now, because suddenly we, we are having to parent very different to what we are so used to doing. Yeah, I think lots of families yeah. don't talk about that neither. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you're practising all over again. Like, usually you just practise on the first child. Yeah. Yeah, no, we were starting all over again. So for us to say to a child, can you drink out the cup, please, and they do it. <laughs> it's like, stop press, everyone. Yeah, or the toilet training. We were like... Because we, we've never done that, obviously, because with Levi and Lucas. And suddenly to have children that now go to the toilet and, uh, yeah. you know, they eat with a knife and fork and they sit down and they listen and they have to do what you ask them to do. But they've always been like, so... <laughs> it's so bizarre. Once Levi and Lucas were kind of really settled in a few years in, we still were fostering in between, like, so we're oh, okay. only, like, a toddler's preparing them for adoption. So they'd then get adopted and then we'd have, like, months off and then we depending on how the boys were, we'd do it again. So we still kind of had us, we were still involved with that. So somebody phoned up from social care. We always said we'd like another set of twins, didn't we? I always Mainly used to say to Michael, it, yeah. Michael, if we have more children, we have got to have another set, another set of, of identical, identical twins. twin boys. So we have two sets of identical twin boys brought together to create think, a family. Yeah, if they did former girls, though, I think, because a lot of the children with fosters have been girls. So we, we, we've had a lot of girls in the house, haven't we? And we have wondered whether we should keep some of them at some point, haven't we? Especially you, we, yeah. we some of them, but they've found them of our own and we, we're still in touch with the majority of the children that we've fostered. And But then they phoned up about these twin boys saying they're going to be coming into the system um, the premature. I shouldn't have took the call. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that. It's like that U-turn to Cleethorpe. There's no turning back. <laughs> but we um, that was like a really umming and ahhing. Wanted for weeks. We were getting everybody Discussing with all his friends and family. Yeah, the pros we were and getting the cons, their opinions, and then those that would say, "Boys, if you don't do it now, you're never going to do it." I'm like, yeah. "Yes, but you're only saying that because you're not going to commit for the rest of your life to some more children. You'll just come." have that fun time and go it's very different you answering this in fact i don't even know why i asked you yeah. <laughs> i wanted your opinion assuming you would agree with me yeah but seeing as you're on michael's side i think we should discount your opinion in this instance we but, were two and three yeah. all the time weren't we we liked the idea that we'd get them straight from the hospital so that that's how it happened we're, after weeks of like doing the pros and the cons, and we wanted somebody to be around for when we're not around. We were in and in the pros and the cons, and if, if it were too much, and would it be fair on Levi and Lucas, would it be fair on the other two children bringing them into this? And then we decided, we went through to see the boys at hospital, and then that way we kind of decided to go ahead. Yeah, yeah, so we were the first ones to bath them in the hospital, they were like three and four pounds, so they were they were tiny. Um, and then once we used to go in and feed them and everything and go and see them, and then it was time to bring them home, and it were like, then that were it, wasn't it? They were, they were home. Then we had to obviously be reassessed for the adoption and because they still had to go through all that process and everything. And then 
that were it. And with that, I just remember Paul's a really like deep sleeper. So I were like crisscross hands feeding them through night, both of them. <laughs> Hey everybody, this being the fact that it isn't a visual element, you should have seen Paul's face at that point. Uh, there was a little bit of like, yeah, is that accident or deliberate, that deep sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> I am a very deep sleeper. You get really ratted, don't you, as well? If um, like, you need so the reality here... So basically what you're saying, Michael, is I don't want him not to sleep because actually it's not worth yeah. my... the aggro the next day. I, might, I would rather he sleep and be useful during the daylight hours than no sleep. Michael is amazing at going without sleep and still functioning and carrying on, whereas me, I just cry. If I'm not out of sleep, I just cry. But I really do need my sleep, and sleep's so important for everybody. Oh, it is. It is. And like you say, especially when you're, it's, it's that not turning off. I was going to ask you actually about, you know, I don't know, people say very unhelpful things sometimes when they've come from really meaningful, helpful ways. And it's things like, I don't know how you cope. And I think sometimes neither do I. But what things do you do now at the stage that you're at that helps you kind of cope, that makes things easier, that what support do you get? What are your kind of like top tips? This is this is what has seen us through. So you know what helps us a lot? Humour. If we can take the piss out of ourselves, <laughs> and that is the reality of it, humour, the situations that the kids put us in, if you can laugh about it as well, that plays a massive part to us, doesn't it? Yeah. Without a doubt. Because when we see it with lots of special needs family and they can re- it can really pull them down and drag them down. It's like, and, it, and it is really difficult and you are exhausted, but we have a laugh with the professionals as well, don't we? You always take the piss of them, don't you? Really? Yeah, I wind them up. Purpose. <laughs> you know, we've been at this years now and, you know, when they ask us a stupid question, I kind of just throw it back on themselves because I wait to see their reaction. <laughs> I think that, that was funny once. A health visitor came and the door must have just been open because it was summer. So she just came in and Paul were like, hello, who are you? Are you do you in my house? <laughs> I remember. <laughs> she just walked in and she, I says, hello. I says, can I help you? <laughs> Don't mind me. I just live here. <laughs> and she's like, well, I, I just noticed that your front door's open and you've got children in your house. Are you sure? Like, <laughs> Say to her, do you make a habit of that? Just walking into people's homes <laughs> when the doors open. Uh, yeah. And half the time they don't know how to take me. But you know, you've just got to be able to lighten things up a bit. I think it's very easy to get bombarded with everything, one hundred percent. And then if you kind of get to that situation and you just go deeper and deeper, it's hard to get out. If you try and find that happy medium all the time, well, we do a lot of preparation as well, don't we? So always like the night before. The cereal bowls are out, the cereals in, the uniforms all down ready because to get all four ready dressed, all the medications and sort everything out in the morning. So the morning and the tea times are the hardest, aren't they? Yeah. So like tea time, bath time, morning. So we just try and get as much done as we can. My favourite time of the day is nine o'clock in the evening. (laughs) (laughs) What's so funny about that? Mine's 10 and even then he doesn't (laughs) freaking well go to sleep. So it's just, yeah, I kind of want it to be climbing into bed. I remember the feeling of like climbing into bed and be thinking, oh, can't wait to go to sleep. But now it's like, oh, I wonder if anyone's going to wake me up. Now we have night carers for my son, which is really complex. Actually, we're in a better place than we have been for his whole life. Like we've got more night care than we've ever had. But there was nothing more sad than going to sleep and not knowing if you're going to get to stay there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just thinking, you know, I used to set an alarm every couple of hours to like reposition him. And that was just, I was just sad for years and years. But like you say, it's the sleep that makes a difference. Maybe that could be your next campaign. Like what is your, you've done parks. I've talked about the epilepsy treatment. Have you got plans for what your next thing is? It could be a campaign that we all get more sleep, that, that we make the nights longer. We turn the clocks back so the kids go to bed earlier. <laughs> I think a lot. I'll see a lot of people that message us. They're not aware of what help they can get, and we, we all try and pinpoint them to the charities and be getting this that, and over. And like you'll know, you have to fight for everything. So we obviously ambassadors for Cordwell and AFK, and we'll be probably doing bits with them. There's nothing like setting stone yet. 
the big thing this year, what, what our local authority and I know other ones are doing is post-16. So they wanted to cut leave on Lucas hours down to 16 hours a week, which is as if they're going to like college, what they give a mainstream child. And they can't. just tell you, we had a tag worker come to our house. This is how ridiculous the system can be. We had a tag worker come to our house, sit down to talk about Levi and Lucas going to college. He said, so how will they get on at college? I said, can I just stop you there for a moment? I said, before we take this conversation any further, I said, if they're at college, who's going to mash all their food up? Mm-hmm. Who's going to change their nappies? Who's going to see to them when they're having seizures? Who's going to administer all their different... Oh. I said, so do you think this conversation is a bit pointless? <laughs> can, we, can we spend our time on something useful? I took my son recently, so he is 17. He's 18 in October. And I took him recently to the job centre. Now my son is like needs all care, unable to walk, unable to sit, unaided, registered blind, fed through a tube in his stomach, blended diet. I mean, he's that doesn't describe him at all. He loves pointless. He loves swimming. He laughs from his head to his toes. He unfortunately can blow kisses, but never to his mother, only to other people, particularly Lucy, who lives with us and is favourite person number one. But we'll move on. That's not a a bugbear or anything for me uh, but so th- those things don't define him but he's never going to get a job but in order for him to get universal credit I had to go to the job centre and just walking through those doors and thinking this is I don't, I don't there was something about it that was like not that I, I really aspire for my kids to go to a job centre it's just like this is just so far from our life how dare you can, and it, and it, just, it just was so the people in there were great and they were fine there was a you know it was never easy but we got there in the end and they were a little bit embarrassed but then I had to take two weekly phone calls on how he's progressing with his job searches <laughs> anyway until it all goes through so basically then it goes through to about then he got assessed and the assessment I had to do this form you know like one of those forms a bit like the PIP form or the DLA form that's just like describe all the bits that you don't want to think about and make it yeah which is horrible so I'd fill in one of those forms and one of the things it said something and my answer was there is not enough gin in my house to accurately answer this question (laughs) 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 this is let's just just refer back to previous questions and let's just say let's move on from how this is so far from my reality um see my moved over from dla to pip so obviously we had to fill the forms out again I can't be asked. I'm just going to put, when it says about speech and feeding, I just put, Lee Van Lucas will never be able to feed themselves. They'll never be able to talk. And see the reports, because why should you have to, you know what I mean? Then we have to do I was saying to everybody at that time, I said, if they call us in to see Lee Van Lucas, and we're actually going to film it. And we're going to show the world what the poor family's through. Because I think that, that needs highlighting. Because when you have children like ours, there are so many people, it, it takes a whole village to raise a disabled child, and the amount of professionals, health professionals, are to be involved. You would think clearly from that that this is enough evidence to show. I know, whether it's like, we need a fast track, like at the airports, don't we? Like, uh, let's just not be stupid. Yeah. Let's just, let's just yeah. recognise the complexity and not... Like you talk about, we've already said about the trauma and the triggering from the complexities of our children like it just brings up those emotions and those feelings at the right time we're passionate about improving the lives of people with complex disabilities whether it's through supporting their family cpd certified training for practitioners or influencing policymakers and providers to turn rhetoric into reality You can find out more about our work, whether it's book on a parent workshop, attend a live podcast event, or check out our range of practitioner training in communication, collaboration, and personalized care by visiting our website, www.bornattherighttime.com. Gentlemen, despite all of our technical issues, we've already got to the end of our time together, but I want to do some rapid fire questions. Are you able to do some rapid fire? Yes. Okay. Some people are good at this and some people like want to spend five minutes thinking about it. Okay, so here we go. Gentlemen, what was your favourite subject in school? Dance. Obviously. Paul, clearly. 
Science. Science. Oh, the geek and the artist. There you go. <laughs> but give me a Bunsen burner and a and a flask and I'm there. <laughs> okay, what's an ordinary moment that brings you joy? I think just sitting outside and listening to the birds. It's quiet. Just getting up in the morning knowing everything's okay. That, that, that's a massive thing. Yeah. Oh. Or picking the kids up from school knowing that everything's been okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the last photo you took? Shall I have a look? Oh, I hope that's not dodgy. <laughs> last photo I took. I'm up, boys, this morning. I've got a new coat. <laughs> <laughs> the last photo I took. Oh, yeah. It was the boys and the barbers. Oh, yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Nice. How smart. It only took 20 minutes to get their hairs done, and we were delighted. (laughs) That's worth more than an Instagram post. That's worth like a crack open the champagne. Okay, you're a superhero. What's your chosen superpower? Fly. That's what I was going to say to fly. (laughs) There's a really strong... I'm going to have to change this question because the number of people who say fly... I don't know whether we all just want to escape our lives. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone who I'm interviewing is like, I just want to get out of here quickly. <laughs> okay, what's your comfort food of choice? Chocolate. Oh, mine's ham, egg and chips. <laughs> oh, quality. Okay, ham, egg and chips. Have you got salt on that or have you got ketchup or brown sauce? Homemade chips with loads of salt and vinegar. A lot of people think that you know, we fancy foods and stuff, but I love very simple, cheap Scrubber dinners. Food. I love it. You like your food, beige? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when it's very fancy and very a la carte, I eat with my eyes, you see. So you look at a plate and you're like, if I can tell exactly what vegetable that is, I'm not interested. I want it to be, <laughs> I want to be processed. So I tell everybody I don't like fish, but I love fish fingers. <laughs> that's different we were at uh, Disneyland Paris weren't we years ago and uh, I ordered this posh burger and it had foie gras in it I said you know what that is don't you <laughs> and you think could you, it, could you? <laughs> you ate stuff like that don't you when we went we actually had a night off didn't we we went to the Savoy um, this month isn't it mm. a couple of weeks ago and um, when they're having all the caviar and stuff on I mean, it yeah <laughs> Again, if only this was a visual media, then you'd see Paul's face. It looks like who eats beluga caviar? Who eats this stuff? I don't know. It's you are so above me. Like Savoy is not. I'm not only eating the ham. Egg, I don't eat ham, but egg and chips. But I'm not even getting the offer of beluga. And that's not even on my. It's not even on our menu. <laughs> not even on menu at Premier, is it? <laughs> exactly. If it's not at the beef eater then, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, like sausage and mash, pie and mash. I love all those kind of meals. Toad in the hole. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bit of gra- One of those toad in the holes where you put all the vegetables in and then you just let the gravy just yes. kind of like... Oh. Yes, you're my kind of person. <laughs> I want potato. I want lots and lots of potato with some onion and some gravy. Yeah, that's it. And loads of salt. Yorkshire pudding. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Amazing. We'll need to do dinner sometime. Yes. <laughs> right. If you were to win a TV reality show, which one would it be? Strictly. Obviously, it's going to be Strictly. I've always wanted to get on Strictly as a contestant, as a disability campaigner, to talk about disabilities from a real life. You wouldn't be allowed on. You've got too much experience. That's not fair. Oh, no. And, oh. you know... To show that, you know, you can be a parent to children with such complex distances and, you know, do what you're kind of hopefully good at as well and use it as a platform. Yeah, it would be strictly for me. What about you, Michael? Would you, I think, I think to be fair, Paul, if you're going to do that, to even it out, you'd have to carry Michael on your back during the <laughs> Because <No>. you're... Because <laughs> it would be unfair otherwise. You know what? You know what Michael should do. Well, I always say Michael loves this food. I said, you know, Michael I said for you to be in the jungle and doing that eating trial, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Is that what it would be, Michael? What would be your celebrity of reality TV show? Eating spaghetti bollock names. <laughs> <laughs> bollock, bollock. That's what they call it. That's what it was. 
that's what it was. Spaghetti, bollock, nays, and then there was another. Then they had another one. Pie, I, Ella. Oh. oh, there's something about eyes. I can't do eyes. I when it pops eyes. in your mouth. Oh. oh, I can't eat tomatoes for that reason. My son will eat tomatoes, and my middle son will eat tomatoes like they're sweets. But that whole like putting a tomato in your mouth and bursting it, can't do it. <laughs> and it's hot. I can't do it. Yeah, no. I will eat tomatoes if you cut it up for me and put it in a salad, but I'm not eating a tomato straight. No. Okay, what is happening? This is the last question. What's happening in your life right now which most excites you? We are planning holidays this year, aren't we? We're, yeah. We've been planning some time away. We're going to be taking the kids to Orlando again. <gasps> so that's me just starting to plan now then. <laughs> Levi and Lucas don't understand their birthdays and Christmases, which always affects us. And they love going to Disney, so that's that's what we do for yeah, we don't really, they don't really get much for Christmas now because we used to do the whole guilt thing and go and buy loads of toys. They're not going to play with them. They have no interest in them. So try to give them experiences that they just Yeah, like. if they need something like it, Levi needed a new iPad or something, we would just get that as and when, wouldn't we? But they don't really, yeah, so we put it towards the already, don't we? And if it says special needs, it's going to have three more zeros on it anyway. So oh, You're not kidding there. <laughs> If it says the word disabled or disabilities, you can count on that, mm, how much VAT is going to be on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. It's not supposed to have any VAT on it. But it's like when you go into a cake shop and you're saying you're getting married. Oh, the wedding cakes. Well, they are so much more expensive. It's that whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like if you went to book a wedding or a party, like you'd want the same thing, but the wedding will be 10 times dearer, yeah. Gentlemen, it has been so nice talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us and all the technical wizardry that you've brought, the genius that you've brought to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we kept on getting warnings, didn't we? You must have earpods, you must have earpods, and <laughs> we still messed it up. <laughs> Don't worry, it's all good. It's been worth the complexities as ever that's life isn't it all right thank you gentlemen for coming i hope you have a lovely rest of the day and uh we'll put all the information about michael paul on our podcast notes so all about the stuff that they're doing you'll give us links about where to find them or how to get involved in all that they're campaigning for and all that they're celebrating um gentlemen thank you very very much it's been our pleasure thank you thank you the Sky's Wonder podcast is a Born at the Right Time production supported by the expert studio assistants of Podshop. Thanks to our wonderful guests for sharing their stories and very precious time. And special thanks to the generosity of listeners whose donations have helped make this podcast. We would love it if you could like, follow and review the podcast wherever you listen. As part of season two, we have some great live events, including the really ropey idea of Sarah, Lucy and I being your agony aunts. Email your stories, comments and questions either to TSWUpodcast at gmail.com to join in or follow us on Instagram at Born at Right Time. We love you joining us for the ride as we hurtle along this off-piste version of parenting. It's so much better when we do it together. Whatever skies, we're under. <laughs>